Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be going into the Salt and Light archive closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2019. First off, we speak with Canadian Catholic Bishop Don Bolin and Canadian Anglican Bishop Linda Nichols. We talk about the Anglican-Catholic dialogue and how that's going in Canada. And then we meet singer-songwriter Kyle Sincouli. In our second half hour, we speak with Salt and Light producer Sebastian Gomes about his last film, The Francis Impact. And at the end of the program, we meet singer-songwriter Chris Mulia. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or Twitter. We begin now with the Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. It's very common here, at least that I know of in Canada, and I'm sure in most places in the United States, that most towns have at least one Catholic church and one Anglican or Episcopal church. Growing up, my best friend was an Episcopal. In fact, he was the Episcopal bishop's son. My wife was baptized in the Anglican church, and many in her family still practice their faith in the Anglican church. I'm sure that many of you have Anglican friends But did you know that for nearly 50 years now, both the Anglican and Catholic churches have been involved in formal dialogue? These official conversations have produced many agreed statements and joint documents and have also led us to deeper understanding, opening us to new opportunities to live and work together. One of these documents is the result of a new project by the Canadian Anglican-Roman Catholic Dialogue, It is a joint resource titled New Stories to Tell, Living Ecumenism Today. And to tell us more, I am joined by the co-chairs of the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue, Bishop Linda Nichols and Bishop Donald Bolin. Welcome, both of you, to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you very much. So you both have, have, have experience of working on the Anglican Roman Catholic Uh, uh, relations, both on the national and international level. And for the past years, you have served as co-chairs on this national Anglican-Roman Catholic uh, theological dialogue. Can you um, briefly, maybe Bishop Linda, can you briefly describe for us what the Anglican-Roman Catholic dialogue is um, and how long has this national dialogue been meeting? Yes, the Anglican-Roman Catholic dialogue in Canada is a group of uh, theologians of both clergy and lay uh, from across our country who have been chosen by our respective churches to sit on the dialogue, who meet to discuss uh, common concerns or to respond to documents that have been produced at the national or the international level, particularly from the Anglican-Roman Catholic International Dialogue, Mm -hmm. and to uh, spend time in conversation together, asking uh, where we have agreement, where we may not, and how we build and deepen our relationship together. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing that since 1971. Wow. In addition, we've also had an Anglican-Roman Catholic Bishops Dialogue that has met annually uh, since 1975, which brings together... Uh, a group of bishops from both our communions 
and that often overlaps for at least a day a year with the with the theological dialogue for conversation. Right. So how typical th- this document that is being, or the, um, the resource, can I call it a document, that's being released, mm-hmm. the new stories to tell, living ecumenism today. Um, uh, Bishop Don, how typical is that of a, of a resource that you would be uh, releasing, or how different is it? What's, what's different about it? Tell us, tell us a bit about that project. Right. Well, there is something new about this uh, text. Uh, traditionally, our dialogues have, um, uh, Canadian dialogue has looked at either international documents that have been produced or uh, taken up doctrinal or pastoral questions and tried to address them, to, uh, mm-hmm. areas where we have a difference and we're looking to address that difference. Whereas this is a, this is a collection that um, starts with a collection of stories of uh, okay. experiences of people on a local level. And, uh, you know, often our documents don't get read and they collect dust. <laughs> but we think by by starting with stories from different parts of Canada um, and then after a particularly engaging story, uh, drawing out some ecumenical points, uh, offering mm-hmm. some ecumenical reflection, uh, we're, we're hoping to get people's attention. So the story... Uh, yeah, sorry? Go ahead. No, you, no. I was going to say so. Well, so the stories, they they you, they hi, these are stories, but they highlight themes that came from a a different document that was part of a, a different international commission. Can you can you clarify that for me? Sure. Well, um, the uh, there was a, a the international dialogue, and Bishop Linda will say more about this because okay. she's part of that dialogue right now. Yes. Uh, produced a, a series of of texts of agreement okay. uh, on authority and morals and... Uh, 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 right. Uh, yeah, the, the nature of the Church and... Uh, yeah. Okay. So, 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 Bishop Linda, you're part of... You're serving on that international dialogue? Yes, I'm serving on the, the third iteration of the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission, uh, often just called ARCIC. Okay. Yeah, but the second the second iteration of that uh, met for almost twenty five years and produced five texts. Mm-hmm. Um, these are documents that are discussed by theologians, bishops, both and uh, clergy and lay theologians from around the world, um, and they often are are very thoughtful uh, agreements and questions that our churches need to continue to wrestle with and, and think about as we seek that deeper unity that Christ calls us to. Right. But they often do just sit on a shelf. And yeah. so our desire was to say, how do we bring the themes of these conversations um, down to the grassroots level of everyday life in parishes, and how can we see them um, lived out, uh, and how do they challenge us? And right. so we were looking okay. for stories that would illustrate. So the stories, so th- so that's why, the, so the stories um, highlight the themes, but th- but the stories are about those everyday ecumenical, it sounds so, like, I <laughs> ecumenical encounters sounds like it's such a formal, because they're not, they're informal <laughs> encounters that we have every day. Um, what kind of contribution, Bishop Linda, what kind of contribution uh, are you hoping that this resource will make that hasn't already been made with the other five documents? 
Well, the other five are formal theological documents, and these are practical on the ground. This is what it okay. looks like when we live this out together, okay. and I hope it will be a deep encouragement to Anglicans and Roman Catholics. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bishop Don, um, are there were there any particular stories that especially touched you? There were indeed. One was a story which came from uh, a professor of uh, Christology, mm-hmm. and uh, she had in her class a group of ordinands, and among them uh, were Anglican and Roman Catholic ordinands. Hmm. And uh, at the end of the class, they they had a session where they did some personal sharing, and two of them had roots in Nova Scotia. And as they talked, they... Uh, they started to talk about family because they had some common family names. Uh-huh. And uh, they realized, uh, after quite a bit of discussion, that, in fact, their great-grandmother was the same person. Wow. And that their grandmothers uh, were sisters, but the families separated over faith issues, and one of them changing from one community to another. Mm-hmm. And there was a rupture, and... Uh, they discovered in the context of this discussion and in a Christology class that they were in fact related, Hmm. uh, second cousins. And that became a kind of a parable for us as we developed that for how Anglicans and Roman Catholics are in fact closely related, but we've lost our uh, family connections. And uh, through dialogue, we recover them. Wow. Maybe just in closing, because we're just about out of time, and 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 I'll I'll let both of you answer if you wish. You you two have been working and doing this this work of ecumenism and dialogue for a long time. Um, I know Bishop Don, your your term in this committee is coming to an end. I'm sure that there's more to come for you because I know you. Um, but are there have you come to any new insights about the dialogue between specifically Anglicans and Catholics, or about ecumenism in general through this work that you've done? Bishop Linda? I, I would say that, that I was just so encouraged when we started to dig for and ask for stories. We've had just some wonderful stories come forward of how much on the ground and grassroots sharing and praying together and working together on issues of justice, of, of learning from one another. There's so much more that's happening that we just don't hear. Mm-hmm. And we hope these stories will encourage deeper sharing and um, some real celebrating of how much we have come closer together through our ecumenical work. Mm-hmm. Bishop Don? Well, I would say that uh, whenever we engage in dialogue, uh, especially at times when, when we're facing significant differences and where there are tensions between our churches, um, that dialogue opens a space where we can still be in relationship with each other and where we can talk about those differences and talk about them candidly. Mm-hmm. Um, in dialogue, you always discover, I've always discovered in ecumenical conversation that my uh, anticipated views of the other, my, my judgments about the other going in, are never quite on, yeah, uh, so on true. track. Yeah. And that the other always comes to me as someone who loves God and yes. loves Jesus, wants to be led by the Holy Spirit, and loves the Church. And there's an integrity there that I don't necessarily see mm-hmm. unless I enter into dialogue and conversation. And I think our new document is going to draw people into that that dialogue in a 
in a new and creative way. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I love stories. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing this new uh, resource. Thank you both for taking a little bit of time to talk to, talk to us and tell us about it today. Um, and thank you for the work that you do for Dialogue. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. The Right Reverend Linda Nichols is the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Huron in Ontario, and Bishop Donald Bolin, Archbishop Donald Bolin, is the Bishop of the Archdiocese of Regina in Saskatchewan. Together, they chair the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. For more information on the dialogue or to get n- the new resource, new stories to tell living ecumenism today, you can go to the Canadian Catholic Conference of Bishops website, cccb.ca. The new resource hopefully will release before the end of the year, and we'll also have information on our website, saltandlighttv.org, about that. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Kyle Sincouli, with Brother from his new album, Walk With Me. Brother, and vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity You caught a glimpse of the victor's crown in travesty But the golden jewels left you feeling empty Brother, I see the light of heaven's porch There's a man that is waiting for you to open the door And even though you were lost, there is so much more Brother, would you walk with me? Brother, would you walk with me? And just take my hand And go with me Into the land Of eternity With your scars and your pain Your burdens and shame Eternity 
That was Kyle Sincouli with Brother from his new album, Walk With Me. Kyle Sincouli is a young singer-songwriter from Central Texas. He began singing and playing guitar at local churches. Soon after, he began writing songs, and his debut album is titled Walk With Me. It's the album that we've been listening to. And now Kyle is playing big festival stages all over the United States and opening for the likes of Matt Marr and The Afters. And today, Kyle Sincouli is here with us on the Salt and Light Hour. Kyle, welcome to our program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Deacon. Um, so, question that I, I usually ask everybody when they first come on the show, what, what was it like growing up for you? You grew up in Central Texas? Yeah, so growing up was good. I was uh, in a small town of about uh, 2,500 people, uh-huh. so uh, everybody knows everybody, which right. is great. Yeah, um, to get the word out about anything. Um, <laughs> so, I, growing up was good. I uh, did was focused in music a lot, and yeah. uh, my my dad actually got me into music. He was in a band for a while. So, okay, growing up was uh, mostly in and out of church doing uh-huh. music. Okay, so you were. You were growing up in, 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 in a church environment and in a musical environment. Yes. Um, and yes. Um, so, and were you doing, I guess, music in church as well? Yeah, so I went to a small Catholic school in um, the, t- the town I'm from is about 30 minutes north of uh, Waco, so the fixer-upper okay. capital uh-huh. of the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. And so I started doing music at our Friday morning masses um, when I was in the seventh grade. Uh-huh, wow. And so that's kind of where it started. Wow. And But you were playing, like you were doing masses and stuff. You weren't leading, like leading worship, worship or anything like that in grade seven, were you? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> did, you, did you, as a teenager, ever go through periods of time when you were like rebellious or doubting your faith? Um, not necessarily when I was a teenager. Um, uh-huh. When, um, after... After um, grade school and going into high school, um, we a few people from our church, um, St. Mary's and West, um, started a little youth band, and so we would do uh, small gigs around uh, at different churches. And I didn't get into worship leading until I got asked by the Baptist church in the town to okay. lead their youth services. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yes. Interesting. What was that like? Uh, it was great um, because ha- half of my family um, is Southern Baptist. Okay. And the, okay. Other, and the other half is is Catholic. Okay. Good. That's a good combination. Um, when when did you start writing your own stuff? Um, I started writing uh, from what my parents told me when I was really young. <laughs> I would just you know write. Uh, a little silly song. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. start taking it seriously until um, I was around fourteen or fifteen. Right. And were you writing church-based music uh, lyrics, or was it just stuff about anything? 
Um, a lot of it was stuff that um, was related to me. And growing up um, north of Waco, uh, David Crowder was a huge influence. And so I okay. really loved writing church music. And actually, um, one of the songs off my album uh, is called um, From the Cross. Oh, yeah. I actually wrote when I was 14. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah, so... A lot of it was early. <laughs> wow. So then this first album, uh, Walk With Me, it, it was kind of a compilation of all the stuff you had written uh, uh, from when you started writing music or some of the best stuff? Yeah. So it was the, the album started, the idea for it started when I had released, recorded and released a song uh, called Promised Land. Okay. Um, and one of the, one of the, uh, men from our church sponsored me to go record it and ended up doing really well on, uh, Amazon and it sat at the number one spot for a little while. Oh yeah. My, and my dad thought that that would be a good idea, um, for me to go ahead and record some of the other songs that I yeah. had. Um, and so, um, he sponsored the album and okay. um, told me that if I if I was going to do it, I had to I had to sit down and focus on it and write some good songs. So that's <laughs> what I did. That's good good incentive to have your dad uh, sponsoring you. Um, th- did you ever play with your dad? Um, he was in um, some some country cover bands and uh-huh. um, wasn't really involved in in church when I was growing up. Um, music wise okay um, so but now we play together um, through the uh, acts okay uh, retreat community okay oh yeah okay all right now why did you settle on that title walk with me um it actually was not my idea to call the song I was going to title it off of the track brother uh-huh okay um, and then I, I had a couple people tell me that you should call it walk with me since it's you know kind of your journey up till now uh right. so i thought that was a good idea and <laughs> i listen to people that are smarter than me so <laughs> that was that was the idea behind it so do you feel how wh- how do you, how does that kind of summarize your journey up to this point so up to this point uh, growing up um wanting to find out uh, about myself, uh, you know, you're kind of discovering yourself along, along the way of high school and into early college and figuring out who you are. And a lot of those songs were songs that I didn't necessarily try to write to, um, portray a specific message. It was what I was going through at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and how how my faith related to that, and um, didn't I didn't really discover how deep um, my faith life was until um, I actually walked away from the church for a little bit, right. um, and came back to it. And so I think those songs are a reflection of that time uh-huh. where I was discovering who I was, right. Um, uh, you're, you're doing a lot of shows, live shows and, or hoping to do live shows. Um, are you also writing more music and recording still? 
Is there? Um, re- recently, um, I am taking a break. Um, I've been working a little bit um, on some different jobs, uh-huh. um, but am planning on um, getting back into writing and uh, hopefully putting out another album here in the next couple of years. Oh, good. That will be good because uh, uh, it's really good stuff, uh, Kyle. Um, uh, thank you for for sharing a little bit of, of what you do with us today, and, and uh, we look forward to more good music coming from you in the next couple of years. Make sure you let us know so we can get you back on the show, okay? Yes, will do. Thank you. Thank you. Kyle Sinkuli, you can find out more. He's got a website. It's, uh, you know what? It's kylesinkulimusic.wixsite.com, but we're going to put that link on our site, saltonlighttv.org slash radio, so you can find it easily. Um, Sinkuli, it's spelled S-I-N-K-U-L-E if you want to search him. Uh, but you can also look him up on Instagram. He's really busy on Instagram, at Kyle S. Official. Kyle S. Official is the handle for Instagram for Kyle Sinkuli. Let's uh, end with a song here now. Is Kyle Sinkuli with Saul from his album Walk With Me. Hours dead in the grave Buried in all my sins I was six feet under Life was a game I couldn't win But there was a fire Burned bright deep within And I was filled with desire From this great I'll rise again, rise again Since you wake up this dead man walking Shake off rumors and talking I'm alive again No more outside listening to Kyle Sinkuli with Saul from his album Walk With Me. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. 
Pope Francis has been Pope now for six years, and despite those who disagree with his approach on certain things, it's hard to deny that his ability to teach us through action has made many to consider him an authentic and credible moral leader. But we are not here to speak about Pope Francis, but his impact, which goes much deeper and it is felt and lived far away from the Vatican among ordinary people who have been inspired by the Pope's examples of compassion, inclusion, sustainability, and dialogue. This is the focus of the new Salt and Light production, The Francis Impact. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by the director and producer of The Francis Impact, my colleague, Sebastian Gomes. Deacon Pedro, good Welcome. to be back. Yeah. I notice you only have me on when I do a big production. Well, you, you never to... have me on to get my take on Catholic <laughs> current affairs. It's because we probably disagree <laughs> on Catholic <laughs> current affairs. But according to Pope Francis, that's, okay. that's a keep, good thing. Yes, Di- we, keep, we keep the dialogue, dialogue open. That's right. Keep making movies and I'll keep bringing you on. There you go. <laughs> um, so um, why, why, why are we making a film about Pope Francis? Well, the key is, as you said, to shift the spotlight off of Francis. Let's tell the stories of people who have actually been impacted by him. So our film, you know, we went all around the world. Mm -hmm. We went to Lampedusa in Italy to talk about the the refugee crisis. We went to El Salvador. You were with me for that amazing experience to talk about a a mining issue, Mm -hmm. the country passing legislation to ban metallic mining, Mm -hmm. in large part due to Laudato Si, the Pope's impact on the, on the ecological movement. Yes, and then we did two stories in North America, one in Quebec on interfaith dialogue in the aftermath of that horrible attack in January of 2017 at, yeah, the, at, the, at mosque the mosque where six people were killed. Uh, and then the fourth story in Minnesota of a couple who tried to get an annulment for about four years and couldn't yeah. until Francis reformed the, pr- the process in 2015. So these four stories collectively, I think, demonstrate this wide variety, this diversity of impacts that the Pope has had in these different areas that are very important to him. So just so that people can can understand, so the Pope in the Vatican is doing things that are actually making a difference on the ground with little people like you and me all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about him every day. Yes. But the stories that we tell in this film are people who you would never, ever typically have heard of or known for any other reason other than Francis dramatically changed their lives in, in, in a dynamic way. So those four stories, those four issues, would you say are issues that are big issues or issues that are very close to Pope Francis's heart? Absolutely. So I, I picked four stories that I thought, uh, like through my research, uh-huh. I picked four stories that I thought kind of captured or demonstrated the, the emphases that Francis right. I- is giving. Like, you know... So, like, migrants, we know he has mm-hmm. a, a big place in his heart for migrants, and, and he's not popular because of it. There's yeah, a lot of people that push back yeah. on him, including people in the church, mm-hmm. because of his emphasis mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the environment. I mean, ecology is, is, is his big thing. It's the yeah. lens through which he sees everything now, right? Yeah. Laudato Si, the synod yes. on the Amazon, all yes. this stuff. Um, and then interfaith dialogue. We see him going to Morocco and, and Abu Dhabi and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Egypt, you know to to, to meet yeah. to meet with all these uh, these Muslims in yeah. particular Muslims is in particular, is what he's yeah. what he's uh, focused on, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are kind of upset about that too. But he knows that's the way. He you know he right. takes his inspiration from Francis of Assisi. This is the 800th anniversary of right. Francis's visit yeah. to Egypt to yes. Damietta, where he yes. met with the Sultan. So and then the fourth one, pastoral reform. Right. In Francis's mind, pastoral reform is a key thing that has to happen in the church. Where church people, pastors in particular, but mm-hmm. everybody who's mm-hmm. a Catholic has to say, 
we need to look with a little bit more compassion and mercy on people who are living in really complex situation, situation pastoral situation which are real so and i want to i want to we can't talk about all the the four oh, issues oh you got to watch the film no you got to absolutely <laughs> but but i do want to maybe if we have time to talk about at least two and i the first one i wanted to talk about was this so the pastoral reform was a story in minnesota minnesota yep and it has to do with the a marriage tribunal issue that's right so, so a, a couple lynn and mark who are the protagonists of this story um basically fell in love after two tragedies they each experienced. So uh-huh. Lynn's first husband was killed in a horrible car accident. Right. Mark's first wife uh, left him. Mm-hmm. So the two of them in their you know, time of sorrow kind of found each other and ended up falling in love, and they each have three kids. Right. So, and they're very Catholic. They wanted to be married in the church. They wanted to be married with the Eucharist. They wanted their family mm-hmm. and their, their friends who mm-hmm. are faithful people to participate in that. And uh, basically, they ran into uh, problems with the marriage tribunal, not in their diocese, but in the Metropolitan Archdiocese down the road, which right. was St. Paul in this case, uh, where the, they re- refused the annulment on some technicalities. Right. And so what Francis did in his reform in 2015 is he removed the need for a second diocese to rule on an annulment decision. Right. So once that happened, they just put it, just, it through their own dioce- diocesan tribunal. It was accepted, and they got it in like a month and a half after four years of waiting. So, and you said earlier that a lot of the, the emphases for Francis is pastoral reform. So making it, I don't want to say easier, I guess make simpler, it simpler, simpler, and I and I think you know the point is to say let's not put up roadblocks for people who want to move on with their lives. Mm-hmm. Things happen, mm-hmm. you know. Life mm-hmm. is complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't always have control over everything mm-hmm. as much as we like to think we do. The story of Lynn and Mark is a very powerful one because yes. of how involved they are in church. Yeah. So they're lectors. Yes. You know they're they're on different committees, mm-hmm. pastoral committees. They're on the finance committee. They're, they're like, for example, they chose not to live together before the annulment process went through. Yeah. So they were dating and in love for four years, trying to get married, to get couldn't. Ma- yeah. And all their friends were like, why don't you just move on? Like, forget about the church. And they said, yeah. no, this is important yeah. to us because yeah. we want to pass these Catholic values and on like to them, their kids. And like them, there are so many couples. There's, they're there in my parish. They're in your parish. That's right. That, that are actually married and they just get tired and just get civilly married because it just makes it Because makes the church it, puts so unnes- there's unnecessary roadblocks. Yeah. So it's not that the annulment process is unimportant. No. To the contrary, I think Francis wants people to understand that it is a very important process in moving on, but let's just, you know, n- yeah, not okay. put up roadblocks, yeah. you know. So let's it's a make great a example of this pastoral reform, but we're seeing how it affects these this couple in a very real life situation. Um, we don't have a lot of time, but quickly I just want to go to El Salvador because how do we, so the Pope writes an encyclical about the environment, and next thing you know, in El Salvador, the government is reading <laughs> the encyclical, like at Congress, and passing a law banning metal mining. Yeah, well, like <laughs> it's it's amazing, right? Yeah, uh, it's 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 more complicated than that, obviously. Yes. Like there, you remember, there's a lot of different factors, but yes. the environmental movement was was pushing for this ban on metallic mining for years, for, yeah. you know, like going back to the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And the church was always kind of supportive, but they were like cheerleaders on the side saying, you know, yes, this is good. Yes, we, you know, support the environment. And we understand that, you know, people's homes are being ruined and their water sources right. are being contaminated. But 
as, as the archbishop told us when we were interviewing him, they weren't protagonists. Mm-hmm. And when Laudato Si came out in 2015, as the archbishop told us, yes. it awakened their consciences in a yes. way that the, 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 the Catholic hierarchy in El Salvador, a predominantly Catholic country, was able to get in the ring mm-hmm. and, and march in the streets and demand of the government that they pass legislation. So it was no longer a cheerleading role. It was, let's get, our, let's get our feet dirty in the street. And that's what Francis calls So they were empowered. Empowered. They yeah, were exactly. empowered by this document. And they were able to say, yeah. this is what the official church teaches. So it yes. wasn't like their own prerogative. It was, this is now the magisterium of the church backing up our march in the street to demand this action. Absolutely. And okay, so we don't have time to, to continue, but so so there's the story as well with of the refugees or the migrant issue in La Pedusa yeah. and also the interreligious dialogue in Quebec. In Quebec. Um, uh, when can we watch this film? It's coming up May 5th. May 5th. It's here at long last. It's been two years in the making, but May 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern time and then again at midnight. Uh, but there's repeats for the next couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, so go to the Francis Impact dot com uh, and click watch and you'll be able to see all the airtimes there but a couple key things to point out Mm -hmm. uh, salt and light is on free view in canada free preview in canada until may 12th Mm -hmm. so if you have a cable television if you have cable television contact your cable network right away and say i know i can get free free view until may 12th salt and light i want it and then you'll be able to watch the film on tv it's also available on live stream so if you don't have cable tv Go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash live, and you'll be able to watch it at those at those times, at those broadcast times from the website. Yeah. Uh, and finally, it'll be available on Roku. We have yes. a Roku channel, the Salt and Light Roku channel. So if you're in the United States, if you don't have cable TV, if you don't have access to our live stream, but you have Roku, you'll be able to watch it there. Yeah, live. Live. Roku. That's right. Okay, live very good. So all that information at the website, thefrancisimpact.com. Sebastian Gomes, he's my colleague here, producer at Salt and Light Media. He's the producer and director of The Francis Effect. His new film, The Francis Impact, as he said, will premiere on Salt and Light TV on Sunday, May the 5th, 8 p.m. East, 5 Pacific. Um, if you're outside our broadcasting area, you can stream it live on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash live, and Roku and all those other places that Sebastian mentioned. But as again, all that information is on the website, thefrancisimpact.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Chris Mulia, with You Are Welcome Here from his new album, God So Loved the World. Come all you wounded and weary Come all you heavy of heart Come with your fear and your burden Come with your pain and your scars Come to the ocean of mercy Be revived, renewed and refreshed Wherever you are No matter how far, come find your peace and your rest. You are welcome here, come as you are. You are welcome here with open arms. Bring your burden. So 
That was Chris Mulia with You Are Welcome Here from his new album, God So Loved the World. You may not be familiar with the name Chris Mulia, but I'm sure that you've heard the song, Our God Is Here. Chris is a speaker, writer, a singer-songwriter from Phoenix, Arizona. After traveling across the U.S. with uh, Sound Mission Ministries for 10 years, he returned to parish ministry in 2014. He's an accomplished composer, has worked with Tom Booth and John Michael Talbot, and has just released his fifth album that we've just been listening, God So Loved the World. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Chris Mulia. Chris, welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Thanks for having me. So I, before we talk about the, the album, I want to get a little better idea of, of who you are and your music. So what, what was uh, growing up like? Well, I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. So, uh, let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, but growing up was confusing. Uh, uh-huh. Growing up was uh, a lot of things. Um, so I, I will fast forward to uh, discovering music. Yeah. Uh, discovering guitar around 13 years of age, and really liked uh, rock guitar, and yeah. Uh, ended up actually studying classical guitar because the only a guy in town that taught taught classical, so I was fortunate in that regard. Uh-huh. Um, but it w- wouldn't be until uh, 
around 18, 19 years old that I had a conversion in a non-denominational church, actually. Interesting. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, uh, long story short, I was at uh, college going to music school and uh, thought one of the girls in my classes was cute, and I asked yeah. her out, and she pretty much said, dude, if you uh, want to date me, you got to go to church. Yeah. So I said, okay, where do I go? And uh, that, was, that was about that. And I went with her and her family, and after a while, uh, they had done an altar call, and I started, you know, I really liked what I was hearing, and uh, yeah, I went down, accepted Christ, and uh, began to read the Bible, and uh, it wouldn't be till later that I discovered I was actually baptized Catholic, and then I had okay. a, a decision to make, be rebaptized or explore my Catholic faith, and uh-huh. uh, ended up breaking up with the girl, and uh, a few years later became a fully initiated Catholic. Wow. Um, when did you start, when did you start doing, uh, I guess, religious music or Catholic music? Well, I would say pretty, pretty quickly after my conversion, um, I, I started to write kind of worship songs I was involved in the youth group, uh, at the, the Catholic church and the pastor, uh, ultimately invited me to, you know, help out directing music at one of the masses, and one thing led to another. Before you knew it, I was a full-time music director, and uh, yeah, in a, so that's, in a parish. Had you been yeah, doing... Yeah, it's always just kind of progressed. Mm-hmm. When you, because you studied music in college, right? So were you doing, were you, were you a professional musician before you became a Catholic? No, not really. Okay, so so your 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 music career begins when you go back to doing, or I guess when you go to do parish ministry or music ministry in a yeah. parish, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I yeah. mean, I, 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 to be quite honest with you, I, there was a point in my life where I was surprised anybody would want to pay me to do that. But, right. You know, <laughs> not sure, uh, that's a great thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it but it is something that uh, I very much felt. Uh, pulled and called to and began to recognize its value and worth in people's lives. Um, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's been a progression. And to this point, you know, where I'm at today, I I see it as one of the things that I do, as opposed to the thing that I do. Right, um, right. Yeah, yeah, it does. But And, and would the main thing that you do, or how you see yourself, is more as a, a speaker, an evangelist, and not so as, as much a singer-songwriter? or. Um, about yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely uh, a speaker, but I, I tend to really like to get into real issues, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, in our world, are real people um, who are hurting and suffering, and quite honestly, most of them are not in church. And True. That's really where my heart is wired towards um, helping to alleviate suffering in whatever way, shape, or form I can. Right. Um, and I think that all things point to relationship, relationship uh-huh. with each other, relationship with God, relationship to, yeah, you know, our world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, that tends to be where I, I spend most of my time. I'm also a life coach. And oh, yeah. Not that in the bio or not, but... Okay, yes. Uh, so I do spend a fair amount of time doing that okay. as well. Yeah. No, and I can see that even by the topics that, that you offer for your parish missions, a lot of those topics are very much, as you described, things that are going to help people help people connect with that, those parts in their lives that are that are suffering or hurting. Would you say that the music then is also kind of has that slant because that is kind of where your heart is? For sure. I, I think it's I think it's all part of our humanity and I think it's important to remember that this this whole engine, this whole thing, this whole thing that we do called church and Catholicism and the yeah. Bible and salvation history 
was all fired up and ultimately um, driven by human beings with real issues and real problems right. in real lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I can't help so the, I just sorry? Go ahead. No, no, no. Go finish. Yeah. So I, I try to uh, be mindful of that in, in all situations that um, in a lot of ways here, I, I, I have a beautiful family. I have five amazing kids and been married uh, 25 years this June. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of like a little uh, bubble of reality in the world today. That's a very rare thing, I think. Um, right. If, if we really uh, think a little broader about what people are are dealing with, and I'm just always mindful of that. So I just have a heart that's geared towards that end, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can't, I mean, not that I'm trying to make a connection, but I think uh, hearing you say all that, and I'm thinking about the title of the new album, God So Love the World, I mean, there's clearly a connection there. Yeah, I, you know, it uh, that that was written very much for liturgical use, right? Yes. So within that context, when you're writing for liturgy, you, you have to know where the boundaries are, what the Church teaches, um, mm-hmm. what what the publisher wants, what the people can sing. <laughs> right. And, uh, it, you know, it's a space that we, we operate in with great respect and reverence and also a privilege. Uh-huh. You know? So, uh, well, when I think about God so loved the world, as we approach the the recording, it wasn't that, you know, the John 3.16, God so loved the world, you know, you hear it every football game. Yeah. Um, it's it's more of, you know, God loves the world, period, and everything created it and everything in it, and it's all very good. Yeah. Um, but then... Yeah. Yeah. D- did you set out to write an album w- with that theme, or that was that's just a good title based on the song that you had written first? That seemed to kind of uh, yeah so, so yeah you write a bunch of music uh, uh, a bunch of it gets tossed out yes um, it's, a, it's an ongoing dialogue yeah. between the publisher and other people and then yeah uh, you know you kind of decide what would a title be that would encompass this whole thing is the song strong enough it's a process yeah um, okay I see would you say would yeah. you say um, so would you classify this album as a liturgical album. So yeah. it's for use in liturgy. So, because I'm thinking of it, you know, it's not like you're welcome here um, that we yep. just heard before the interview. That's a, I mean, it's, it's like a perfect opening sing, opening in. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you played that song, Deacon, because I, I have to tell you, of all the songs I've ever written, yeah. uh, that's been the most controversial song. Really? Uh, to date, uh, which which I find surprising. I've received the most feedback about that song, yeah. mostly unsolicited, by the way. Um, By people who think that not everybody should be welcome. Well, it, it's amazing about when you when you start talking about who's welcome and who's not. Right. Uh, everybody has huh. an opinion on that. Of course. And maybe not everybody. That might be a little too general, but a lot of people do. And huh. I, I heard a lot of comments in that regard, but uh, the one that really struck me uh, was what the, somebody said, and I, w- I won't call them out or anything like that. But uh, somebody mentioned, uh, well. You're welcome to come to church, uh, but you can't stay that way. Right. And I've, I've wrestled with that uh, so much, and I, at the end of the day, I, I would say back uh, to whoever, whoever has that mindset, uh, I understand that. I understand the sentiment, because the God is about renewal and growth and yes. healing and transformation. Yes. That's what should happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the key word there is that's what God is about. Mm-hmm. So it's not my job to 
to worry about that. Yeah. I, I don't. I can't worry about how you stay or don't stay. Yeah. It's my job to welcome you. And uh, so, and I recognize as well that as Catholics, we believe certain things. And when you receive the body and blood of Jesus, you're making a proclamation um, about the faith. Yeah. And I understand those parameters as well. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, input about that reality huh. also. Uh, but as I see the gospel and I see how Christ interacted with people, um, I see that it was an open, uh, welcoming. Aspect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think we, in some ways, have too many barriers. Yeah, I really do. Absolutely. Well, if it makes a difference, I like the song. <laughs> um, well, for people, so I, I saw on your website that uh, there's a lot of sheet music available, and I guess there's sheet music available through Oregon Catholic Press. So if people want to use the music in liturgy, it's easy enough for them to, to get the the sheet music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's all there at, at uh, OCP. That's, that's all stuff they handle. Okay, so that's all good. So we're going to leave it there because we're almost out of time. But it's been great okay. meeting you. I, I hope... Now that we've we've made contact, that we have lots of opportunities to bring you back. So I hope that you're working on more music, um, and because uh, it's it's good, it's good stuff. I know you've been at it for a long, long time. Um, so I hope that you will continue. And thank you for sharing a little bit of what you do with us today. Thank you. God bless you. You can learn all about Chris Muglia, his ministry. You can learn how you can bring him to your parish. You can purchase his music at his website, chrismuglia.com. And just be sure that Muglia is spelled M-U-G-L-I-A, Muglia, the, the Italian, but he pronounces it Chris Muglia. And it's chrismuglia.com. We're going to put that uh, link on our site also so you can find it easily. Um, God So Loved the World, the new album, is published by Oregon Catholic Press. Here now is Chris Muglia with the title track of his new album, God So Loved the World. listening to Chris Mulia with God So Loved the World from his album of the same name. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. To listen to the entire program and all our programs, go to saltandlighttv.org radio. 
You can also listen to the Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on your Roku. The Salt and Light Hour is a ministry of Salt and Light Media. If you like the show, please go to saltandlighttv.org to learn how you can support us so that we can continue. That's saltandlighttv.org. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Gather together to worship as one.